most of us uh, human beings enter life with much of our biography already written. Forces and facts such as geography, ethnicity, uh, social class, time in history, gender, genetics, all of these will dictate significant portions of our lives unless we actively choose to write a different story. And frankly, many people never have either the luxury or the curiosity to think about how the stories of their lives are being written, let alone choose something different. And it's often a lot easier simply to go along with what is expected and dictated. In fact, for many people, it takes some sort of major trauma in life to cause us to examine how we're living and where we are going with life and then decide if that is what we want. Thankfully, as followers of Christ, we don't have to wait to experience some sort of trauma to wake us up to examine our lives, to decide what life we want to experience. Jesus' words from this morning's story are traumatic enough to get our attention if we care to listen. Jesus uses shocking imagery to wake us up to the fullness of life that he alone can offer. This morning's story links uh, with the story that we heard last week as well. In last week's story, Jesus miraculously fed thousands of people in a remote spot with just um, tiny resources. They ate so much and were so in awe of what Jesus had done that they wanted to make Jesus their king. But Jesus knew that they didn't understand his mission in this world, and so he escaped from them in that moment. In our story, another crowd has found Jesus, and either uh, there are people in this crowd that found him that were a part of that other crowd that had been fed thousands, uh, or there are at least people in this crowd that have heard the stories about what Jesus had done through that miraculous feeding. Because Jesus, when he addresses them, brings up that situation and says specifically, um, look, you're here, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You're here because you got a good meal. You're here for your stomachs. And so Jesus again tries to set them straight. Verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, 
but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God has set his seal of approval. The crowd is intrigued enough about this life that Jesus is offering that they basically tell him, okay, prove it. Prove to us that you can provide this life that you're talking about. And they, they bring up as comparison, they want Jesus to do something more impressive than what Moses did in the desert in providing manna. Uh, in the desert, the manna gave the whole nation of Israel, that, or the Hebrews that were coming out of Egypt, food, enough food every day for 40 years. Jesus has provided one meal, one time, for a crowd. But Moses had provided food every day for 40 years for the entire nation. So they're saying, okay, that's what Moses did. What are you going to do to prove, us that, prove to us that you can provide this life? Jesus tries to explain to them that the manna in the desert was a sign, a sign that God can and does provide everything needed for true life, both physical and spiritual. But as a sign, it was only temporary. As he says, they ate it, but they still died. The real thing that provides life, true life for all people forever had arrived in Jesus. In him, we hear in verse 48, I am, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a person may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. And this is where it takes, the conversation takes a significant turn. He then says this part that catches their attention. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. There is something intentionally provocative about this image. This bread is my flesh. And they are provoked when then some began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Rather than step back and try to explain what he was talking about in a, you know, in a more gentle fashion, Jesus compounds the shock. I tell you the truth, verily, verily, I say unto you, amen, amen. This is when he's really serious about what he's saying. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and he doubles down, drink his blood, you have no life in you. Did you catch that? Because if you don't, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. Okay, still haven't got it? 
For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. If we don't feel confronted hearing this, I don't think we are allowing it to get through to us. Jesus can hardly be more graphic than this. When I taught English in China in in the mid-80s, there were still places in the, the nation where the rumor was circulated that Christians were cannibals because of, I mean, how can you read this and not think that? This is disgusting. I'm slightly tempted, especially even more, I wrote this even before all these technical difficulties, I'm almost, I'm even more tempted now to just leave the sermon right there. One way that we can embody this teaching of Jesus is by entering into this image, mulling it over in contemplation, just simply letting this image dwell in us. The power of imagery is that it draws us out past our ability to control and to explain. But I will say this, the life that Christ calls us to cannot be found in the stories that the world dictates to us. The fullness of life can only be experienced when we embody the life of Christ and Christ embodies us in his life. Jesus even likens this experience to the intimacy that he has with God the Father. Verse 57, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. That's how intimate Jesus wants our relationship with him to be. The same as that with the Father. The amazing thing, the wonderful news in all of this, is that it is all possible. We hear the invitation in, from Isaiah. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat. Listen, simply listen and trust. That's the way Jesus says it, those who believe in me, those who trust me. Listen and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. And one of the most profound ways that we remind ourselves of the fullness of life that God graciously gives us and gives us in grace 
for free is the sacrament of Holy Communion. Here at the table, the imagery and the incarnation come together. At the table here, the sign and the spirit join in ways that are beyond words to capture entirely. As Paul puts it, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? At this table, we eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God. Amen.